711 on the uh, LegacyRetirementGroup.com phone line. We welcome back Matt Mayer, president of Opportunity Ohio at OpportunityOhio.org. You can also find him on social like Twitter, at Ohio Matt. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Brandon. Good to have you. Are you back in town or are you still traveling, man? No, I am back in town to uh, rainy Ohio. <laughs> I can I can feel it. I can I can feel the vibe, how excited you are to be back. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> well, hey, let's get right to this. Of course, we shared the updated news on the New York City subway shooter. Uh, but what's interesting is that uh, we found, and of course, your latest piece too, this is yet another story of another FBI miss who apparently they let him go back in 2019. Yeah, so this guy was 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 you know looked over for potential terrorism, and you know the FBI let him go. And, and you know this is joins the a, a growing and long list of of, of uh, terrorists who have done stuff uh, after the FBI essentially had him under a watch and then decided there was nothing there to see. So clearly, you know the FBI has got to fix its process to make sure that they are uh, doing a better job here because you know, just I'm sure you've seen the social media posts that this guy was putting oh, up yeah. and there was lots of reasons why he should have uh still been under surveillance uh given some of the sentiments that he was verbalizing quite freely you know matt i have seen the secret service and the fbi go after people for less than what this guy did on social media you know yeah yeah i mean this is this is the you know this is the the thing that you scratch your head over the amount of time and energy we put into uh, you know, other things uh, that the FBI is going after. But, you know, this this guy who is just going on rants about, you know, how much he hates white people and, you know, the, the you know, very black supremacist, uh, supremacy type of ideology. And, and, you know, just a hop, skip and a jump from there to committing an act of terrorism, which is what he ended up doing. Yeah. And as I like to say, he was not a pillar of the community either. James was known to city police, uh, had a rap sheet already spanning six years back in the 90s. Nine prior NYPD arrests. How important is it, Matt, that James has been charged uh, by federal prosecutors? Because this, the, 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 we don't want to see this guy back onto the streets after what he did. No, we don't. And unfortunately, you know, if it's it's good that he's got federal charges going against him because, as you know, there's too many of these big city prosecutors that kind of you know, wrist slap, uh, yeah. um, too many, too many criminals. And so that'll put him somewhere, but you know, look, the big issue here, Brandon, that, that nobody's talking about is, you know, this guy's left wing BLM rhetoric, uh, you know, the, the stuff that we've seen over the last few years is absolutely a direct cause, uh, to this guy having kind of this ideology where, you know, that America's this inherently racist society that white people are to blame for everything. Uh, you know, he he really wrapped himself around that. You know, getting left wing BLM rhetoric, and you know, we we need to make sure that there's as much emphasis on getting the left and BLM to tamp down their their kind of anti white rhetoric as there is for us to attack white supremacy and the rhetoric that comes out of those folks. Because you know, we hear about that all the time. We talk about that all the time, and, and we need to tamp it down because it's it's foul and it's 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 disgusting kind of rhetoric. But it's the same, that same rhetoric coming from the other side uh, that is all about, you know, black nationalism and, you know, the supremacy and this anti-white mentality that we've adopted in this country. But in some corners of it needs to be equally, equally tamped down and equally uh, uh, you know, put, you know, put, put, put to the corners here, because all, all it leads to is people like this 
uh, who then end up committing acts of violence against people. Matt Baer is with us, president of Opportunity Ohio, opportunityohio.org. And and I just want to also add this week, because something else that's made it into the news is the co-founder of Black Lives Matters slamming the U.S.'s um, charity transparency laws after it was exposed that they purchased a $6 million L.A. mansion, uh, saying that they found it triggering, emotionally compromising when they hear about financial documents being made public. You're supposed to be a nonprofit, uh, so you get, I, I guess, hung out to dry on what was the reason for your, you know, your donors should know about a $6 million L.A. mansion purchase, right? Uh, yeah. I and mean, what's the purpose they, of yeah. that? I mean, uh, they didn't give you money so you could go buy a, you know, a six, $6 million home in L.A. They gave you money to help the lives of black Americans who need it. And so the, the idea that, oh, because you have to file an IRS Form 990, which, by the way, every charity does. Yes. It, you know, I do every year. You know, every group, any group that has a C3, you know, files one of these things. Uh, so that way, you know, the IRS can make sure that, you know, things are being spent properly and, you know, pe- donors and, and people interested in our work can look at what we've done, how much we've spent. Uh, so this is kind of routine. And what's fascinating is, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, if you might recall, it's been the left who has been demanding even greater transparency into that. They want to know, you know, who your donors are because they want to be able to go then harass them at their homes, which is what has happened in certain situations where they've gotten a hold of the names of donors to organizations. And so, you know, we protect the privacy of donors, and, and that's not an issue here with the Black Lives Matter uh, group filing. But she just, she just doesn't want to have any accountability, apparently. She just wants to be able to spend whatever money she wants on whatever she can, and nobody should know that. Well, that, that's not the way the world yeah, works. That, that That's not the way it works at all. And, and the fact that they were BLM is so dismissive of its critics um, – I, I don't know. I'll, I'll never understand that. But, you know, it's it's good for them. But when it's against them. Yeah. So we I, also I want to bring up the National Bureau of Economic Research. They they finally came out with a I guess it's a final report on the state's response to COVID-19. How did Ohio rank? Yeah, not good, Brandon. I mean, this is a comprehensive report of all 50 states in the District of Columbia ranked ranked a a through E. And, and you know, and Ohio was a D. We got we were the 32nd best at the COVID response uh, based upon the National Bureau of Economic Research. And it's category after category. I think our best showing, we were 26th for unemployment. Uh, but, you know, we were 36th in GDP. For economic average, we were 34th. For in-person school, we were 30th. For age and met- metabolic health uh, adjusted COVID deaths per 100,000, we were 33rd. For all cases of excess deaths, we are 30th. Uh, and for mortality average, we are 35th. So, again, yet another ranking that comes out looking at all the states. And once again, Ohio is mediocre to poor. And, uh, you know, to me, I kind of say, okay, Mike, do I, John, you said, are you guys going to acknowledge how bad your response was and, and admit maybe there should have been some things done differently so that Ohioans didn't suffer the, the degree that we did suffer? You know, Matt, wouldn't it be better if a politician would just come out and say, you know what, I made a mistake. I Wouldn't the public be like a little more sympathetic? Maybe not forgive them completely, but go, okay. Because that's the most frustrating thing about Biden. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's the most frustrating thing about any politician on the left and the right. I mean, you rarely ever hear the words, I'm sorry, we could have done better. 
unless they're caught in a scandal. And, and it's just as unfortunate. Wouldn't it be nice if they said, wow, yeah, we, we boy, we wish we would have done as well as some of these other states, and we need to do a hard analysis so that the next time we get hit with something like this, you know, we're in the, we're an A ranked in top ten ranking uh, in our response rather than a D ranking in the in the bottom half of the of the states. And th- that's what's just so frustrating for so many Americans. Again, no matter what Democrat Republican, they get so frustrated that there's just politicians never ever say the words "I'm sorry," should have done better, and th- that's just unfortunate. Matt, at opportunity.org, you did an extensive piece on California, why it should not be the model for America's energy future. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I mean, so this this is where when you kind of get beyond the rhetoric of climate change, you know, what we should do, and you look at how these policies impact, you know, everybody, you know, the left points to California as the model. And the reality is on a couple of different measures, you know, home ownership, for example, you know, climate climate housing policies force poor minorities out to be replaced by wealthy whites. The way that works is they essentially, you know, build these more costly structures that poor Americans can't afford. So it pushes them out, and then essentially white uh, upper class folks buy these places. Transportation again, wealthy whites get to keep their expensive EVs as the poor, poor minorities are pushed onto public transit. You know, minorities can't afford fifty-four thousand dollar Tesla vehicles. Right. So yeah, the only people yeah. buying those are wealthy whites. And so, again, you know, the average person drives or drives a car that's about 12 years old. They're not they're not going into the dealership and buying a fifty four thousand dollar EV. They can't. The best they do is buy a used car that's still, you know, internal combustion engine. So, again, all we do is force more and more uh, burden onto poor minorities, typically. Right. Energy cost. Minorities are forced to pay much more for their income uh, of their income to high high cost electricity and gasoline. Because they're the ones who they, they can't afford to put solar cells on their roof and get the subsidies to cover that. That's again, wealthy whites get that stuff. So they're the ones who get caught caught with the higher gasoline prices, the higher electricity prices. That all this stuff uh, that California does ends up throwing onto the 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 the, the, the citizens. Mm-hmm. And then on jobs, again, California's climate policies are they require the elimination of hundreds of thousands of conventional energy jobs. And the jobs that get replaced by those for green energy, just they don't pay as much. They don't have the right, the, the, the good benefits. So, again, California is not the model. That's why companies and people are fleeing California by the thousands. And that's why it has the greatest uh, in, you know, the, the inefi- the, um, inequality between the rich and the poor. Is California has one of the worst uh, ratings in America because so many poor are, are, are hurt by all these policies while the wealthy, essentially white folks, uh, you know, living in Hollywood and, you know, San Francisco, playing Nancy Pelosi, yeah, they, they have their little enclaves that they can afford to, 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 to essentially deal with these policies where, where the vast majority of the middle class and poor can't. 